from Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Or people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed with me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Psalm 43, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Saviour and my God. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, The reason we're looking at two psalms is because uh, most commentators suggest that these are actually kind of they should go together effectively. So you have that inscription at the beginning, a mascal of the sons of Korah, and then there's nothing at the beginning of Psalm 43. And you'll notice in 42 and 43, you have that refrain that repeats right throughout, through both Psalms. And so they, most commentators think they actually go together, and so we're doing it together. This is what's part of, it's called a lament psalm. And so we're going to look at that together as we're thinking about how to do relationship with God. Uh, why don't I pray? Father God, we praise you and thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. You don't just speak in a, in, a, in a technical way with bullet points about how to do life. You are not just giving us an encyclopedia on how to do things. Uh, but Father, you give us songs. You give us psalms that can become the, the songs that we sing, the songs that our songs, the words that we pray to you might become a part of and so this morning we pray as we look at this lament psalm that you would teach us how to lament before you how to come to you and pour out our hearts in honesty reflecting on your goodness and your greatness and clinging on to your promises and we pray in Jesus name amen Uh, hands up if you have watched Uh, it's called I think it's called four-year-old sorry uh, what's it called old people's homes for four-year-olds it's all it's been amazing hasn't it uh, an ABC documentary, if you haven't seen it, 
uh, where they do this experiment where they take four-year-old preschoolers and they put them with a bunch of older people in a retirement aged care centre. And it is a beautiful show, um, but desperately sad at points, isn't it? Um, you meet these people and hear their, the older people hear their stories where they live these isolated, lonely lives. Uh, many, many of them struggle with depression. Uh, they sit in a room all day long with minimal human contact. It's absolutely devastating. Uh, there is nothing more painful for a human being to endure than feeling alone, is there not? Psalm 42 and 43, the, the person who's writing, the psalmist is feeling alone. Uh, people are out to get him. They are taunting him. They are mocking him. And he is struggling. He is struggling so much that his mind is just playing tricks. He's just going crazy. His emotions are overwhelming him. I wonder this morning, as you've come here this morning, do you know what that is like? For your suffering that you're going to, through to so isolate you, where your mind just goes a bit crazy, where your emotions feel just completely out of control. If you do know what that's like, or if you have a friend or a family member who is in that space, then Psalm 42 and 43 is for you. It's for you to be ministered to. It's for you to minister to others. It's a psalm that models for us the right response in our suffering. And so we're going to look at it in four words, thirsty, turmoil, prayer, and hope. Okay, Thirsty, turmoil, prayer, and hope. Firstly, thirsty. The psalmist is thirsty for God's presence. So look with me at verse 1. As a deer plants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now this psalm is written by, the it says it's inscribed by the, the sons of Korah or the tribe of Korah. Uh, it was a psalm that was sung in the temple in Jerusalem to encourage God's people to find their hope in God. And so this psalm begins with this metaphor of this thirsty deer. It says he panting, desperately looking for water to quench its thirst. I wonder, do you know what real thirst looks like? Where you just, where all you can think about is the water that you need to consume because your throat is so parched. The psalmist is saying, That's a picture of me. He's saying, My soul. Now, when we talk about the soul in the Bible, and in particular in the book of Psalms, we're not just talking about the spiritual part of us as opposed to the body, but the soul in the Bible is actually our whole person. The psalmist is saying, My whole person, body, and spirit is desperately thirsty for God and his presence. Like a deer that has not drunk for days and is desperately looking for water, that's what my body is like, that is what my whole person is like at the moment. Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? While this psalmist is thirsty for God's presence, he lives in grief, in God's seeming absence. In God's seeming absence. Instead of his thirst being quenched by God himself, his thirst is being quenched by the tears that are streaming down his face. Now, it's possible this psalm was actually written during the exile. That's the time when God's people were removed from the land. They were cut off from the temple, which was the symbolic place of God's presence. 
Thus the people were mocking them while they're in exile. Where is your God? You've been kicked out of the land. Where's your God? He's left you for dead. You thirst for a God who has left you alone. Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And so as he is in this place of, of grief over the absence of, a seeming absence of God, he remembers what it used to be like back in the land where they would have these massive festivals and the people would come and they'd celebrate and they'd sing and they'd enjoy God's presence and they'd eat together and they'd enjoy God's blessing. And yet now he's saying, I'm in this place of thirst with the absence of God. I'm, I'm away from his presence and I need him. I thirst for him. See, human beings are made to know God personally. We are in our, very, in our very whole person, we are made to know God's person. We are made to drink of the living waters of relationship with him. But because of sin, we are cut off from that living water. And so as a consequence, every person in Evan's head who doesn't know Jesus has a thirsty soul. For 20 years of my life, I lived with a thirsty soul. When I met Kelly for the first time, I had this thirst I was trying to fill it with drugs and alcohol and and all sorts of different things, this thirsty soul, but nothing was quenching it. Now the psalmist here is, even though he knows God, he's feeling like he's in that place of thirst. He's in this trouble. And so he sees that his greatest problem here is not that the people are against him. So if he's in exile and the people are giving him a hard time and taunting him, he doesn't think, my biggest problem is now these people are giving me a hard time. He thinks my biggest problem is my thirst for the presence of God. I need to be in the presence of God. I wonder when life is crashing down around you, you, the psalmist is saying you need more than deliverance. You know when you get to that place where things aren't going right for you and you think, I just need to be delivered. I just need to get through and for this bad thing to go away or this person to stop going against me. The psalmist is saying the first thing, the most primary thing, your greatest need in that moment is the presence of God. Is the presence of God. First, he thirsts for the presence of God. Second, we, he hits turmoil and taunting during God's absence. So, second half, verse 6. He says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, what's he saying here? All right. Again, it's this really vivid water imagery. That's what he's picking up here. He's speaking about going to this very tall mountain, which is basically the place where the Jordan River starts. And it's this picture of the waterfall on that mountain pouring down. And he's saying, I'm pitch- he's picturing himself underneath the waterfall, being completely swamped by the water as it comes down. Waves crashing over him. He's being tossed around on the verge of drowning. And so the psalmist is using this picture of saying, that's what it feels like on my insides right now. That's the turmoil I'm feeling. He knows he's one of God's people, but he is in exile outside of God's presence and he is experiencing God's absence. People are mocking him, people are unjustly treating him, people are are taunting him, and so he's completely churned up. By the way, he's crashing on him. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, 
Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? They're making fun of him. They're taunting him. They're saying, hey, you're supposed to be someone who follows this God, Yahweh. He has left you for dead. Where is he? And so their taunting has led to his question. Their questions have led to his questioning. He's saying to God, have you forgotten me? Have you, have you forgotten who I am? But you can see the tension, can't you? Because on one hand, he, said, he calls God his rock. That's his solid place of rest. And yet at the same time, he says, this God who is his rock can, seems completely absent. He is taunted, leading to turmoil within. Friends, if you have suffered, just even for a little bit, you will know this experience. It seems like the world is screaming at you, God has left you for dead. You know, when you're going through really hard stuff and, and it's really hard to make sense of it because you're a follower of Jesus and everything should be right, shouldn't it? But everything's not going right at the time and things are hard at work or things are really desperate in your health or things are really hard in your family. And you feel like in that moment, the question in your mind is, why have you forgotten me, God? It feels like in those moments that we are being banged around by the waves, don't we? Aren't we? It's just pushing us around. You get disorientated. You don't know how to go forward. You don't know how to go back. We lose our bearings. We feel forgotten. And that is where the psalmist is up to. I know you know it. He thirsts for God's presence in turmoil and taunting of his apparent, God's apparent absence. And so thirdly, he prays for God's presence. Look at verse, chapter 43, verse 1. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist says, I want vindication. I want to be seen to be right over the people who are mistreating me right now, who are treating me unjustly. But as he's saying that, that's what he wants. He just says, so God, give me the bigger army. You know, he could have said that. He said, so give me the bigger army right now so you can smite them and then I can come out on top. No, no, what the psalmist wants here is not a bigger army. He, he actually says, no, I want you to turn up, God. He wants the God in whom he takes refuge to arrive. He wants to go to God's dwelling place, most likely the temple, and praise him there. He wants to go to that place of singing about how God is amazing and praise him in his presence. See, at the end of the day, in the midst of his suffering, the psalmist does, his greatest desire is not just what God can do for him, but it's actually God himself. It's not just what God can do for him, but it's God himself. That is his greatest desire. When we are suffering, when we are grieving, when we are feeling isolated by it all, we can ask for relief. That, that's not a bad prayer. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul prays three times for the thorn to be taken from him, doesn't he? It's not a wrong prayer to say, God, please relieve me of this suffering. Yet in the midst of trials, there is so much more we can pray. To like the psalmist pray for God's presence in the midst of our turmoil. That we'd be able to sink deeper into his word, that we'd be able to sink deeper into his presence and prayer and singing and know him more. I know through my journey with Parkinson's over the last couple of years, God, this, is, this is just the obvious lesson for me. You know, I have prayed and I've had people, numerous people pray for me for healing over and over and over again. And, and it's a prayer that I believe that God can and, and can do. But at this stage, at the same time, my greatest prayer has been that God's presence would be more deeply entrenched in my life through my suffering. So I would learn what it means that his grace is sufficient for me. And then fourthly, he goes to hope. Hope for God's presence beyond the present. You might have noticed as we went through that I missed this refrain. It, it said it three times right throughout. It says, verse 5, verse 11 and 43, 5, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, what you notice here is the psalmist starts speaking to himself. He starts speaking to his soul and his whole self. And he's saying to, himself, to his soul, why are you in turmoil? And then he speaks to his soul and then he exhorts himself with the truth to hope in God for we will again be in his presence. So he's probably imagining in the, back in the promised land, praising him, the God of salvation. And so at the beginning of the psalm, there is this thirst to be in God's presence. When shall I come and appear before God? And in the final word, the psalmist affirms, yes, we will. He has this sure hope that yes, he will live in God's presence beyond the present. But what I want you to notice is the way the psalmist speaks to himself. See, a number of people make lots of this. They want to talk about the importance of Christians having good, positive self-talk. Now, that is, that, that is true to a degree. Uh, I think sometimes when we talk about positive self-talk, it's, well, it's the idea that we've just got to repeat these maxims to ourselves like we just have this inner internal dialogue with ourselves about, about us being good people or things are going to be okay. Or, but this is a little bit different. This is someone who's speaking to himself in the midst of speaking to the Lord. He's speaking to himself in the presence of the Lord or before the face of God. He is speaking hope and life to himself in the midst of speaking to the God who is hope. And so this psalm is actually, like I said earlier, a lament psalm. And so to lament is to what the psalmist has done, just lay out everything before the Lord, pour out our hearts before the Lord, our struggles, our suffering, our questions, to be really honest, to get real with God, the struggles and turmoils within, the questions of where God is in the midst of his apparent absence. And so the psalmist is saying, in the midst of our honest lament before God, then you speak his words into your life. Not just repeating them like there's some mantra with, internally within yourself, but claiming his promises while speaking to him. 
not as a technique to make you more self-reliant, but that you might become more reliant on him, that our whole person might be focused on him. See, in the midst of inner turmoil and taunting, the psalmist laments, thirsting and praying for God's presence with the living hope that he would see God again. I wonder what is your default response when you hit the sufferings of life? Maybe when, when the watery chaos of life hits you, maybe your response is one of stoicism. That's the idea where you just kind of harden up and you say to yourself, doesn't affect me. Effectively, it's kind of a Buddhist approach. Now, when you're doing that, you are not, you're not biblical. To be biblical is to lament like the psalmist. It is to be in relationship with God, bring it to him. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's not the stoic response, but maybe it is the victim response. And so suffering becomes the complete narrative of your entire existence. So every time you suffer more, you say, oh, poor me, poor me, that's just me. I'm just, I'm just made for this. And you just stay in this place of hopelessness. That is not the biblical response. The psalmist has hope. Maybe your response to suffering is to uh, basically choose anything in your life that will numb you to the pain. And so you might be self-medicate with TV, you might self-medicate with alcohol, you might self-medicate with legal or illegal prescription drugs, you might self-medicate with pornography, you just self-medicate with anything you can to numb yourself to the realities of your suffering. As I think about those three responses, I think I do all three. (laughs) At different times, different seasons, different types of suffering, I'll go with all three. But the right response here is to lament before the Lord. It is to thirst for God in the midst of it, being honest with our struggling to him, knowing he is with us. But the question is, how do we know he's with us? How do we know that the God we go on about at church, the God I follow, is not the God who is far removed from our suffering, who effectively put us in this earth and then let us kind of do our thing and then sits up there removed from the world? And the answer is the cross, isn't it? The answer is Jesus. Like I said last week, the Psalms are not just the words of the original writers. We can't just go the words of Korah to us. We need to say the words of Korah, the words of Jesus, to become the words of us. And so think through this psalm as the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one who was taunted as he hung there on the cross, was he not? Where they cried out to you, where is this God? This God that you you say that you represent, where is this God? If If he's with you, let him come down and take you off the cross. Jesus is the one who, like a deer panting for water, long to live in the Father's presence. Jesus is the one who in the garden was, remember as they said, he, he was so stressed that he sweat drops of blood. As he was buffeted with emotions and thinking in that moment, he was buffeted by the waves of turmoil, he was in stress. Jesus was the one betrayed by deceitful and unjust men 
Jesus was the living water. And yet on the cross, he cried, I thirst. Jesus is the one who was taunted on the cross as they said, where is your God? Jesus is the one who not, did not just sense God was absent, but as he hung on the cross, was rejected by his father. You see, this psalm is not just the words of Korah, it's the words ultimately of Jesus. He experienced that thirst. Why? That you and I, as we read this psalm now, might have a sure hope that we have God's presence in our lives. That whatever suffering you are going through, whatever grief you're going through right now, whatever loss, whatever struggle, whatever unjust treatment you might be going through at work, we can know Jesus is with us. God is with us. God in Jesus has, in a sense, pulled us out of the waves, out of that waterfall and into his loving embrace. But although that is true, like the psalmist, we still live in the tension. We still are not in the new creation enjoying the very face-to-face presence of Jesus. We still are in this in-between now but not yet place where we've tasted in part through his spirit but not fully experienced and so we live in hope of the future. For that thirst that one day will be ultimately quenched as we stand before the face of Jesus. Friends, I don't know you because I'm not regularly a part of your church. But if you are going through the watery chaos of life right now, if God, you, seem, you feel disorientated and God seems really distant, then you need to learn to lament. You need to learn to lament. I, I, part of what I do as a, as a minister is to counsel people through struggles and suffering who are going through times like this. And I can't tell you the number of times I've met people who think that they can't, they just... It's not that they don't know how to lament. They don't even think they can lament before God. They think they have to, when they rock up to prayer, that they have to come with it all together. And they have to pray the certain prayers and they have to be in this place of incredible faith. And Jesus did not just come for the healthy. He came for the sick and broken. He came for those people who lamented. He came for the lamenters, the one who came, Jesus, I've got nothing and I need you. Friends, if you are in that place right now, you need to learn to lament. That is the thing that is holding back you, deepening in your relationship with Jesus. If you only come to Jesus when things are good and you've got it all together, you will only come to Jesus a very small amount of your life. (laughs) Particularly as you keep walking this life and things get harder. You need to learn to lament. You need to take advantage of this incredible place that you live in to get alone with God. You have beaches. (laughs) You have beautiful headlands. You have all these places where you can go and be alone and pour out your heart to him. Cry out to him, thirst for him, speak honestly with him, ask him your questions, come to him with faith and hope and trust that he is there, that he is God, he is good, and the cross is your proof. If, if this morning you are struggling to know how to even start this process of lament, then I would love to lament with you this morning. Um, I, don't, I don't expect that my job as a preacher ends as soon as I sit down after my prayer. I'm happy to pray with you, to sit down and hear your story, 
that we could lament before the Lord together and you can bring it and pour your heart out to the Lord. So it's anyone here this morning who's in that space, come and have a chat to me and I'd love to pray with you this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you that you are a God who doesn't expect us to come together with it all sewn up, with it all perfect, that you are a God who loves us so deeply, you love the brokenhearted and you call us to bring our brokenness to you. Whatever suffering we are going through, that isolating effect it has in our lives, Father, we pray it would be broken in this church, that for anyone here this morning who is suffering alone, who is not speaking to anyone about it, who is not speaking to you about it, Father, I pray that you would break down that wall that they have built up around their lives and around their hearts, that they would bring it to you, that they would pour their hearts out to you in whatever way they can, whether it's groans, whether it's sobs, they would come before you and know you as their refuge, you know your goodness, know your presence, that they would come to this place of hope for the future, knowing that we will again praise the Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.